Uh, If you're visiting today, we've been going through the book of John. Uh, But before we come to our passage, um, so we can understand what's what's happening here before Pilate, that's where we find Jesus, is um, if you've been to any church at all in in your life, you, you hear a lot about the death of Christ, right? I'm a sinner. Uh, I, I need somebody to pay for my sins. And so you hear that a lot. Uh, and that is true. I really believe that. I believe that if you're not a Christian, uh, I believe the Bible teaches you have guilt and you need Christ. And uh, somebody has to pay. But you know, if that's all the gospel is, that somebody has to pay, then why when Jesus was six months old, why didn't they just take him out and sacrifice him? Be- because not only... Do you need a perfect life in in your place and a death in your place? You need a perfect righteousness to stand before God. And so Jesus lives all these years keeping the law of God as the God-man, fully man. You've got to understand God's nature is not helping out his human nature. Because, you see, you need a perfect righteousness to stand before God. And so what John is telling us, beginning in the prologue of John, very clearly, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus Christ is the creator and that he came into the world. But because the world uh, loved darkness rather than light, it never saw. Because you know what? If you don't know Christ, you're dead in your sin. That's why you don't understand. That's why even if you go to church all your life and you just keep going, but there's no... A desire or, or, or a thought of, I need a perfect righteousness, you'll just kind of be somewhere, uh, what I call a middle-class Christian. You never see your need. Now, the reason I bring that up, um, so, so Jesus, for those 33 years, has been demonstrating that he is what John 1, 1 through 18 is saying. And all his miracles and all the things that he did he called signs that he's your God. And he's living perfectly obedient on your behalf because you and I don't. I don't. I'm your pastor. I did not live perfectly obedient this week. I Trust me. Just ask my wife. But now, he's done all that. That's his active obedience. And now we're moving to what they call as passive obedience. You think about passive, right? You're passive. Well... Well, you see, he is now being led as the lamb before the slaughter. He's, he's, he's testified. And you need to know this is going on for us 2,000 years ago uh, because the last thing to be done is to die for sinners like me and you. So with that in mind, think about this text as we read this text, Okay. So now he's before, uh, he's before Pilate, all ordained of God in the Old Testament that this would happen. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, probably six in the morning. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. 
And Pilate said to them, Well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered him, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews. Not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, this is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, when we read this passage and we think of what would happen to you within hours, that you set, um, you laid aside uh, your regal majesty and became the lamb, that anybody who's here today who sees their own sin and their own hopelessness, that if they come to, to him, come to you, that they might have life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change life today. And, Father, for us who are believers, that we would learn to trust you more and more, that you would increase the eye of faith for, Lord Jesus, even you said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so, Lord, all of us, including the pastor, we need to see Jesus. And so we pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there was a song that was written in 1968. Uh, it was written by the, uh, the song uh, singer uh, Paul Anka. I know that all you younger people remember Paul Anka. <laughs> well, what's very interesting uh, uh, about this song that he wrote has, has become a very famous song, and maybe you've heard it, um, even if it's old. But kind of the context of him writing this, this, um, this, this, uh, this song is 
that he, there was a very famous French song about a man whose lover, his girlfriend, whatever, had left him. And uh, the song was all about how his life was over. She's left me. My life is over. You ever said that? My, my, my life's just over. And he thought that was pathetic. And so he sat down and he, uh, he penned a song that's kind of the opposite of that. And so he pitched this song to Frank Sinatra. Uh, and to Frank Sinatra's credit, he, he, he kind of thought it was a little bit narcissistic. But it became his signature song, and he would always sing it at concerts, even up to the day that he died. And uh, he described uh, the song as a Paul Anka pop hit, which became a kind of national anthem. Now, I think his assessment's true. Now, what I'm going I'm to go through the song. I thought about taking one or two stanzas. But that's not poetry, right? So, and if I lose you by the end of the song, you know, uh, there'll be some great music at the end of the sermon. But uh, I don't want to lose you. I want you to listen to this because it's so true. Uh, Maybe the way Frank Sinatra did live his life. And uh, the song is about a man who, rather than my life being over, he looks back on his life at the end of his life, and he's finally saying... Uh, and there you have the quote of the song, right? The title of the sermon. Y'all do read my titles, don't you? Good, because I work on them. <laughs> I did it my way. Now, let me, let me, uh, let me, uh, so are y'all ready? I'm thinking about singing it to you, but I hate the tune. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard the song, I did it my way? Anybody younger, if you're under 20 years old, I mean, under, under 30 years old, have you heard the song, I did it my way, if you're younger? Okay, good. At least some of you will follow along here. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more, much more, I did it my way. Y'all can, if y'all want to come to the end and just we'll say it out loud together, keep you going, okay? <laughs> y'all, can, y'all can do that. If you, if, you can raise your hands in the service, too, if you want to. I do. I regret, so I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much more than this. Thank you. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, a bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I. Yeah, if the shoe fits, wear it, okay? No. I've loved, I've laughed, I've cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all all so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, 
Not in a shy way. Oh, no, no, not, not me, because I... One last stanza. Listen to this stanza. For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. And the record shows, I took the blows, and I did it my way. Now, as much as the lyrics kind of strike me as corny, and, I, and again, I, I think this guy's writing sincerely, but, I, but they do sound kind of corny, you have to admit. Uh, the only thing worse is, is the, the uh, tune, especially when Elvis Presley picked up on it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Elvis Presley. Okay. Now, what's interesting is this song. Are y'all with me still? Yeah, I did it my way, and I'm not going to kneel, and I did it, and I bet off more than I can chew, and I had my doubts. I sinned a little bit, a few. I did a few things. I had a few regrets, a few. Hey, but I did it my way. Is that what you want to say at the end of your life? Maybe some of us will. But it's interesting that this song here uh, was the most played song in Britain for almost five years. And you might call it the, the anthem or the hymn of the postmodern, post-Christian, whatever, readily vistic culture, that if this is all you've got, you do it your way. You're in control of your own destiny. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. This is nonsense. Because this kind of thinking doesn't make for great marriages. It doesn't make for great communities. It doesn't make for great institutions. You know why? Because there's, there's absolutely no sacrifice in it. And the reality is, when, when, we, uh, um, when we do things our way, and I've, I've discovered this in my own life, I see it all the time. When, I, when I'm kind of wanting my wife to do it my way, even if I'm not telling her that. Do you understand how much effect that has? Well, now I want you to think about Jesus Christ for a moment. Because you see, here is the, here's the creator of the universe, and he's the one who's in absolute control. He is the, he is the creator. He is in control of everything. And, but you know, he doesn't do it his way, does he? He was saying in the Garden of Gethsemane just a couple, a couple of hours early, hey, if there's any way for that girl on the fifth row, the one sitting way there in the back with the blonde hair, if there's, any, if there's another way for her or for this brother over here to enter into the kingdom of God and not be judged for the sins that we know down deep we have to give an account for, let this cup pass from me. But not my way. Your way. Not my will. Your will be done. So, you mind if I... I want to give you, like, the Christian anthem. And there are lots of them. We sang them all this morning, didn't we? Great hymns. One of my favorite is, Oh, Sacred Head Now Wounded. When I die, I think that's one I might want at my funeral. But it says... What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, I fall here, my Savior, till I, tis I deserve thy place. 
Look on me with thy favor. Vouchsafe or grant to me thy grace. Man of sorrows, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Alleluia, what a savior. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless lamb of God was he. Sacrifice to set us free. Alleluia. What a savior. Now here's, here's what I want us to think about here. I mean, I, I, I'm, uh, we're going to see a contrast between both the, the religious people and maybe you're a religious person here today. I, I don't know. And, and the irreligious people, maybe you're here and you don't know if you believe or you're not a believer, that you're really seeking the same thing. You, you're really seeking in some form to control your own life. I will not, I will not, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm done trying to love my wife. She's hard love. Christian, are you saying that? Well, she's never going to change. Or, I'm, hey, listen, I'm not doing what he wants me to do. You know what, I'm, I need to make it on my own. And by the way, can, I, can we all admit that in an egalitarian culture, everybody's resentful, there's no, sen- there's no sense of order? And so it leads to the age of resentment. And if many of you are resentful, Today, I'm going to tell you why. It's because whether you're a religious person or you're a non-Christian, whatever, I don't like the word irreligious, non-religious person, it's because you want everybody to fit what you want. And it has unbelievable, devastating impact on other people versus Jesus who gave himself for us. And so if if there's anything I would want to say this morning, if I I were to give you a proposition, it would be this. Until you give up control of the mess that you're making for yourself and others around you, you will never experience Jesus' Jesus' promise of rest and comfort. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. laden. Do you ever get weary of trying to control everything? So what rules you this morning? What is the thing that's ultimately controlling your life? And I'm asking everybody in here this, this question. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Because you see, whatever rules you, names you. So like you, for, for so a lot of you men, I, and I, I'm not saying that women don't want to do this. But one thing I know about men is they want to be successful. They want to, be, uh, they want to make a lot of money. And if I make a lot of money, then I, I will be able to take care of my family. But then what ends up naming you is money. And you're controlled by money. And you're controlled by time. And so you spend all your life trying to provide for your family. You give them a nice home. You give them all these wonderful things. But then your kid resents you because, you know what? What named you was that success. And so you're ruled by it. Or let's just say uh, you're uh, you're a mother and you want to be the perfect mother. And so what you want to do is, is you want to control your children. You want to make sure that you need to behave. You need to be a wonderful child because if you're not, then I don't know who I am. And then you end up being angry and bitter and at the very children that you, you hope to give the life that they needed. And, uh, and then, um, I mean, it can, it can happen uh, to ministers. that uh, to, For us as ministers, if what names us is... Um, 
is uh, how big our church is or whether our people are responding, then basically the minister ends up being ruled by the church. He's not ruled by Christ. He's not in control. He's wanting to control everything. And then when it all goes, falls apart, then rather than going, hey, Lord, what's going on? What are you trying to teach me? Then the minister himself can get bitter and, and angry. This is not a confession. I love everybody. I love all y'all. Okay, but... So here's what I want us to see in just a little bit of time before we come to the Lord's Supper. I want us to see how the religious seek self-control, seek control, how the non-religious seek control, and then why Christians give up control. Why Christians, real Christians, are learning the joy of letting this stuff go at great cost. Uh, So the first thing to see is um, how religious people uh, seek control. Now, we see this uh, as these religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate. They want to be done with Jesus. And the reason that they want to be, uh, be done with Jesus is because even though Rome ruled and Rome ruled them, uh, they could basically live their own little lives and do their religious thing. And then you had the Romans protecting them from all the other barbarians that might be coming in. But here comes Jesus on the scene. And just a few days earlier in that, the whole city of Jerusalem, the thousands upon thousands were going out. And it was Christ coming in on the donkey saying, I am the king. <laughs> You're right, I'm the king. And, uh, and so there was, uh, there was great concern that the people were going after him. Jesus speaks in public. They don't confront him in public. And when they did try to confront him a little bit, he, he showed his kingship by the, the wise answers uh, that he gave. They want control. Now, where do we see this in our text? Well, what do we see about this? Well, the first thing to see is that religious people are always inconsistent. If you're a religious person, you want to be religious. You're always inconsistent. Notice what it says in verse 28. Uh, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Now, John is the master of irony. I'm, I'm telling you, throughout the book of John, he's just showing all kind of irony. And what is the irony here? Well, they just did kangaroo court. They did it twice with Annas and Caiaphas. They condemn him. They have no witnesses. They're doing it at night. It's against the law. But because in their minds it's like, okay, whatever, whatever, the ends justifies the means. Uh, but he's upsetting this whole thing that we've had for thousands of years. All the, all the, um, all the um, ceremonial laws and all the laws, all the laws that we've created, and he's always challenging them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the reason he, he was is because the old is past and the new has come, and he is the Passover lamb. He is our Passover. Now, you know what the irony is? Uh, that they wouldn't, we don't want to be defiled by those Gentiles. And here is the Lamb of God inside. To make all things new. The Lamb led to the slaughter. The Lamb who was concerned always for all the nations. And the Jews were to have been concerned about the nations. But they weren't concerned about the nations. They were concerned about being Jews. 
Now, let me ask you this. Do you ever see some inconsistencies in your life when you quit looking to Christ and, and admitting your inconsistencies? And you're kind of, on the one hand, you say, well, you ought not go to that movie. Which, by the way, do, y'all do believe there are certain movies you shouldn't go to, right? Right? I mean, okay. But that's a big spectrum, this there. But here's the irony. Is if you're, if you're the one who is into the don't smoke, drink, or chew, or mess with girls that do, and then you look down with disdain on those people who do that. Do you not see the irony of the greater sin that your heart is not for those people? You know why? Because you're not concerned about being controlled by Christ and loving those people. You're concerned about having these rules, and as long as I keep those rules, then I'm going to be okay. Let me, get, let me give you an ex, uh, example um, of that. I had a good friend of mine who, um, uh, in college, uh, and um, he, uh, uh, he made profession of faith, and he wanted to be a, a, a millionaire by the time he was 30. You know why he wanted to be a millionaire? You college students to say, man, I want to serve Christ I'm going to be a millionaire in that way when I, have the, I get the money. I'll just give all that money away, and, uh, and, and God's kingdom will grow. And God will use me in a great way. And I think he was very sincere about that at one point. And he tithed. He gave his money. And he, uh, he did X, Y, and Z. Uh, but then um, his marriage started falling apart. Because, you know, he's more concerned about being a millionaire said so do great things for God than he was for his own wife. And I saw it. My wife saw it. We just saw that she was being neglected. And he couldn't see it because, you see, uh, he wanted to be in control. I'm going to make a million dollars. And then ultimately, uh, and, he, and he tithed and he gave money. And then his business went south and he lost his business. And ultimately, he lost his marriage. And then he completely said, this is just hooey. And left the faith. You see, because he thought, well, if I do this, then this should happen. Now, let me ask all you uh, self-righteous people like me. How much do you do that in your own home? Do you think, well, I'm trying to be a Christian wife. I'm trying to be a Christian husband. And here's what it takes to be a Christian husband. I go to work. I work hard. I make plans, which is good. I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, you don't wake up every day and go, hey, I hope everything's out of control. Like, there's Phil over there. He's got a Ph.D. And, and Kane, he's got a Ph.D. You probably had to work hard on that, probably had to discipline yourself, whatever. And, of course, we have Todd Lowry, this brilliant pastor back there. On, back there. But, but, so, but you see, um, but you see um, the essence of knowing that you are not resting and giving yourself to Christ and whatever he wants to bring in your life is you're mad all the time. I mean, I don't know how many times I've said this, but if you're just kind of always mad at your husband, always mad at your wife, you kids, you're mad at your parents because they're supposed to be good Christians, and they're not good Christians. They fight with each other. You have all these demands on people. You see, you're just like the Pharisees. And let me tell you, they wanted to be done with Jesus. And not only that, but they become sloppy in the things they say that they believe. Why? Because when uh, 
when Pilate says, well, so what are you charging him with? You know what they said? We wouldn't have brought him to you if he were not evil. What are you saying? We already know. You don't need to ask us why. We are the experts. Now, let me be real practical here for a moment. You realize how much people hate each other in politics now? Like progressive liberals, they look at conservative people and they think, man, you're a bunch of yahoos and we need to move forward. And I don't really care what you have to say because whatever it is you believe, that's past. So I'm not even going to listen to you. And so all of a sudden we hear this noise coming. And then, by the way, it goes on the other side, doesn't it? People who say they're conservative and, and, uh, uh, and you, you come up with your four or five uh, conservative talking points, whether it's the Constitution or whatever. And, and chances are you, you probably, like me, don't know what you're talking about. And you're not going to listen to those liberal people. And so nobody loves each other anymore. And not only that, you know what? Nobody, these Pharisees didn't really sit down and say, well, Jesus explained to me where you're in the Old Testament. Did they do that? No, they had their mind made up. Maybe you have your, oh, wow, it's 1138. You, you had your mind made up. You, your mind's made up. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, uh, if you're a religious person, and you know lots of Reformed theology, but you never have any conversations with anybody. You say, well, I want to know what you think. I've learned a lot from non-Christians. So you can be religious, but you're religious because you're here at Redeemer this morning because you know you need to be here because your life will be better this week. Well, then there's the non-religious. And that's Pilate. Pilate didn't believe in all the pantheon. Pilate was a political guy. Now, as you think about Pilate, here's what you need to understand about Pilate. Uh, Do you ever feel like, uh, I mean, I remember I used to read him when I first became a Christian. I kind of felt sorry for the guy. Man, he's in a tough situation. In fact, it sounds like, to a certain extent, he was a decent chap when you first start looking at it, right? It's like, whoa, what, what guilt does this man have? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, I, because... You see, a lot of times non-religious people, maybe you're not a religious person or you're, you're here today because somebody dragged you here, you think you're pretty objective and you're pretty open. You're an open person because you're not a religious person. And religious people are the ones that are weird. And, hey, granted, but we're, we're talking about religious people. We're not talking about people that know Jesus Christ. And so, so, so Pilate calls Jesus, calls Jesus in. But let me tell you something. Pilate is already frustrated with the Jews. And I I don't have time to tell you for all the reasons, but he'd already been there seven or eight years. He did not want to be in Palestine. That's not where nobody wanted to be. He got stuck there. He's trying to get out of Palestine. He came under Tiberius. And by the way, if you wonder sometimes the historicity of the the Bible, well, there's Pilate's name is right there on a stone in one of the temple walls or whatever that uh, dated back to 26 A.D., so, yes, Pilate, Pilate existed. But let me, if you read the historians, Pilate comes to Jerusalem in 26, years before Jesus, and uh, he comes in with all these standards, you know, coming in with all the, and the Jews freaked out. And they said, uh, you need to get rid of those. You're defiling Jerusalem. He said, defile Jerusalem, I'll just kill all of you. They had this great big sit-in, thousands of them. You know what they did? You know what the Jews did? They sat there, stuck their necks out, said, go ahead, chop it off. You know what? He backed down. (laughs) 
Um, and so there's several incidences like this. He took out the, the, the temple treasury and, uh, and uh, he, made, um, he made some, I can't remember what it was he made, but the people were, uh, they were upset and they start protesting. He goes out and he beats them with clubs and he beat tons of them to death. And so word is coming back from the Herods uh, going to Rome saying, this guy, y'all got to do something about him. And so the word comes back to Rome is, you better figure out how to deal with this stuff. This is like number five. So the, the point is, he doesn't want to deal with Jesus. And so in his conversation with Jesus, it's all perfunctory. Are you a king? And, uh, and he looks at Jesus all beaten and battered up. And actually, he's not saying, are you a king? He says, so you're a king. Right? And a lot of non-religious people see Jesus as that way. They see this unfortunate guy who's weak and, and um, you know, he got hung on a cross. But let me tell you, Pilate is before the living God. And so he's going to pass judgment on the one who's ultimately going to judge him and everybody in the world. But Jesus' response to Pilate was, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom's not like your kingdom. The kingdoms of this world, America, Iran, Britain, you name them all, uh, they're all about power. Democrats want power. Republicans want power. People want power, don't they? Because I, I would rather do it my way. I want you people to do it my way, and we, either when you increase taxes or you decrease taxes, whichever spectrum you stand on, then you go, well, I, I really love my leaders because they're doing it my way. Jesus said, I don't operate. My king, when he says it's not of this world, he's not saying it's impacting this world. I mean, Brian's up here showing ways the kingdom of God has impacted him. Uh, he's too humble to say he started uh, chosen for life. But he sees the need, sees the broken. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom it's not of this world because if it was, I could ask my servants to fight, to fight. He's already said that in the garden. He's got legions of angels. Do you know he has legions of angels right now that he could call down? Right? You know judgment could come right now, and then all of a sudden you'll believe. But you know what this king does? He surrenders himself. He gives up control so that we might enter in. What is Pilate's response to Jesus' statement? about the truth and, and my people know the truth. You know, what's his response? Oh, what is truth? <laughs> so, so we have nothing on Pilate. We think we're so smart, we're modern people. Okay, who, say, who knows what the truth is? Let me tell you, if you say that, and if you're an agnostic, and you're always at say, well, who knows what the truth is? What is the truth? Look, can I suggest to you, it might be because you just want to be in control of your life. And you made a mess of your marriage. You made a mess of your friendships. You made a mess of your life. You've become the kind of person that nobody really wants to hang out with. Why? Because it always leads to anger. So you see that? Irreligious, religious people want the same thing. You want control. Now let me ask you this far, one last thing before we come to the Lord's table. Is that what you want? How's it working for you? How's your anger toward your parents working for you? And your parents did wrong. How's your anger about 
whatever it may be. Let me ask you, is that a fruit of the Spirit, anger? It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Well, let me tell you something. You cannot not be angry, and you cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit if what Jesus says in our text is not true about you. And what does he say about his people and about the truth? You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And when you hear the voice of Jesus, I'm going to tell you what you do. You give up control. You know why? Because he's more beautiful than anything you've ever met. I had, I had uh, lunch today with an African-American pastor, a friend of mine. I've gotten to know him. A lot of good things is going on, I think, with racial reconciliation among a lot of whites and African-American pastors. And... Um, and I won't tell you his name, but he's wise. He's 70 years old. And I love being in meetings with him because he just lets, lets all the young people talk. But there's a, there's a spirit about him. So, so, and his name's not Bob. I said, hey, Bob, can I take you to lunch today? I took him over to Red Lobster. I said, I want to know your story. I said, have you always uh, kind of grew up being a, a Christian? And he said, heck No. Uh, he said, uh, I said, where'd you grow up? He said, I grew up, at, I grew up here in Athens. And, uh, and he said, but, but uh, no, no, folks, you need to understand this. This is a reality. But it's 1968, 68. He said, I just got tired of people uh, you rolling down the window and using the N-word. Can you imagine that? Minding your own business. You said, okay, probably religious people. People went to Baptist and Presbyterian church. So he was getting bitter about it. Would you get bitter if somebody just judged you according to your skin or being a man or being a woman or whatever it may be? It's like, well, hey, wait a minute. I know I have a southern accent, but I'm not that stupid. You know? I've had that happen to me before. But anyhow, it's another story. So, I, so we went, to, and so, uh, so he said, I went to Connecticut. And uh, so he was up there, and he worked uh, for 20 years or so uh, for a company up there. And then he said, yeah, and then I, then I had, a, had an affair. And I was leaving my wife. And I was, I was living with another woman. And this pastor, I hardly ever went to that church. Let me tell you what this pastor did. He came to me and said, I really want you to come talk to me. Would you come talk to me? And they, All right, whatever. So he goes. And he says, that pastor talked to me for an hour and a half. I don't remember one word he said. But when we were leaving, he said, can I pray for you, Bob? Yeah, sure, why not? So he held his hand. And he said, I don't remember the prayer. But when he said, in the name of Jesus, he heard the name Jesus. And Jesus called him. And he said, I'm walking down the stairs, and my daughter, who's 13 years old, was in the choir. I went home that, uh, the, and, and it was a, Sunday lunch, and <clears throat> I told my wife I'm not hungry, and he went in the room. He said, I just sat in my room all day, and I just read the Word. He said, I've been reading the Word ever since. You know what he did? He just started crying. Seven years old. What, what, you mean you're not bored with this stuff yet? <laughs> of course not. Because, you see, he gave up control. And because he knew Jesus loved him. And he quit looking at everybody as this and that. And he forgave all the people 
Everybody. He said, you know, I just love people. Now, friends, let me tell you, and I want to close on this, but just to be practical here. My wife needs me to not be religious or non-religious. She needs me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is when I go, well, I need to love my wife. I need to be patient. I need to be kind. I'm thankful I'm married to a woman that sees it the same way. And you know what? You know what? Always, but you can't do. Can you? Let me ask. You, can anybody do that on your own? Can you go? Yep. Power positive thinking. No, I'll tell you, when you submit to Christ, and I'm telling you, you know he loves you, and he accepts you, and he has given you rest, and you take that yoke, then you can love. Do you know Jesus? All you have to do is rest in him. Maybe you've never done that. I encourage you to do that now. Come to faith in Christ. And then continue to submit your life to Christ. I mean, you think it's easy? Is it easy being a Christian the way Jesus is? No, because he gave up power, didn't he? So that we might be enter in. You have to give up your control and be controlled by the God. Sometimes that means you have to be harsh with people. Sometimes that means you've got to go, oh, can't do that. But you do it in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for your mercies on someone this morning. Even those who've known you for a long time, but they've gotten hard-hearted. Oh, Father, uh, would they see Jesus in this passage as the lamb before the slaughter? Not, Not defending himself, but simply stating the realities of who he is. Father, I pray for any who don't know Christ. Lord, that today you would convince them that that all the idols I have will never bring control. Money, family, being loved, being attractive. You alone. And so would you bring people to yourself this morning to rest in the love of Jesus. I ask it in your name. Amen.